Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Thanks again for being here. We're in the last week of a series we've entitled For the Love. And today we get to talk about everybody's favorite subject, you. And so when we think about uh, for the love and how we fit into God's plan for love, I think it's a challenge for most of us as Christians. It's kind of like, it's a paradox. On the one hand, the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which then would lead me to understand that without Christ, I can't really accomplish anything. On the one hand, the scripture says, you got to love others as you love yourself. And then on the other hand, the scripture says, pick up your cross and deny yourself. On the one hand, if you want to find yourself, you lose yourself. If you want to be great, you must become a servant. Can we see this paradoxical understanding that seems to be conflicting in most of our Christian lives? But I would argue that Jesus has given us a plan for how we're to do that. Now, if we were to start today and take a look at the understanding of Scripture and how we're to love ourselves then we'd have a pretty good understanding of how we're to live this life. Because it's clear that the scripture tells us that we are to love ourselves. And you say, well, how do you know that, Chuck? In Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 36, the text says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now, just leave that slide up, guys. And so, uh, if you stop right there with that question... This fella is an attorney of the Mosaic Law. And what he is talking about is there are some 600 plus rules that he is holding people accountable for and he is going to judge and he will choose whether he's your advocate or not based on how well you follow those rules. So naturally, when Jesus shows up on the scene, everything gets a little more paradoxical because Jesus has come and said, I've come to fulfill the law, not to deny the law. And yet this guy's saying, then it would help us, Jesus, if you could tell us what's the most important of all these laws. And, and in that moment, Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment, period. So the Lord Jesus says, now all those laws, the most important one is this, love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, period. I think for the most part, those who claim to be followers of Jesus, we get that. We get the concept of, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're, we're going to love God. But then Jesus goes on and says, okay, a second one is equally important. So it's not one and two, really. It's one A and one B. Love God with all your heart, your mind, and soul. Oh, and watch this. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, everything was cool until we got to the last two words. Because, I mean, you can ride around Atlanta and you can see cars with these little round stickers that, you know, love God, love people. That's awesome. But how do we do that? And the scripture says we're going to love people around us different than us. In, in the person in the cubicle next to us, in the salesman that's on the showroom next to us, to the, to the, to the loudmouth guy who's always screaming at the refs at your kid's game, to, to all that. We're going to love all these people. And then Jesus says, but now here's how you're going to love them. You're going to love them as you love yourself. 
And all of a sudden, the paradox becomes extraordinarily complicated. But I don't believe it's as complicated as we make it. Because to love ourselves as the divine loves us is not that we're self-centered. It's not that we're arrogant or prideful. It's not even that we think we're better than others because all of those things happen when we allow bigotry and racism and anger and bitterness. We let all those things stay in our lives. When we look at somebody else and all of a sudden we place ourselves a little higher on, on, the, on, the, on the pedestal than somebody else. You say, well, Chuck, I don't feel like I'm better than anybody else, but now those people, well, you just did. You say, well, but wait a minute, Chuck, then how am I supposed to love myself? If I love myself, then I am pretty good. But yet that same paradox exists where we understand that our heart is a wicked thing and capable of more evil than we could imagine. You say, well, Chuck, now I'm thoroughly confused. How are we supposed to love ourselves? Well, some of us this morning looked in the mirror and thought, whoa, pretty good. Some of us looked in the mirror this morning and thought, that is not good. And clearly, some of us didn't look in the mirror. But now, a lot of us have conversations. Did you know that we have quiet conversations in our brain to the rate of about 1,300 words a minute? So right now, if we just counted down 60 seconds, your brain is telling you something 1,300 times. Isn't that fascinating? Have you ever been in a conversation where you were talking so fast before long, you said something you didn't mean to say, and it came out wrong, and then you felt bad about it? Well, when you do this for a living, it happens all the time. I mean, nothing can show you how goofy you are than speaking in public. Because sooner or later, if you speak in public, you're going to say something stupid. I do it all the time. It's just, I'll go back and I'll listen to what I said and I'll think to myself, that is not what I meant. And it usually happens when y'all laugh at me. But you know, I think some of us look in the mirror and we, we say things like, I'm just a failure. I've looked in the mirror and said that. I've had seasons in my life where I looked in the mirror and I thought, Chuck, you could not have messed this up worse. I think some of us look in the mirror and think, there's nobody that likes me. The whole world is stacked up against me. Haven't you thought that before or said that before? The universe is conspiring to get me. I've had times where I've looked in the mirror and I've said, Chuck, you're an awful parent. You are just a colossal screw up as a parent. I've had times when I've looked in the mirror and I thought, you are so stupid. You are just so stupid. I've had times often where I've looked in the mirror and I thought, Chuck, you're, you're just ugly. Why can't you get this together? And when we do that, we, we foster the sense of low self-esteem that often leads us to depression. It gives us this sense of social withdrawal. It gives us this, this awareness that maybe I'm not all that... I should be. And then before you know it, we, we start heaping guilt on our shoulders and we start taking on this persona that, you know, I'm really not all that. And God, you, you totally messed up when it came my turn. And yet the God of all creation looks at you and he says, that's my boy. That's my girl. I've got you. Look, you're wonderful. You're perfect for this. And we look in the mirror and say, how could that be? Maybe what we ought to do is trash the old self and step boldly into a new self and be willing to look in the mirror and say, that right there, that is an image bearer of the Most High God. So if you have a smartphone, go ahead and pull your phone out. Go ahead. For those of you that are telling your kids you can't have a phone in church, go ahead and give them the, give them the phone for a minute. All right. Take it and uh, then get your camera ready and then flip your camera around. All right. And we're going to do a selfie here. Let me get you in the background here. 
All right, you ready? You want me to wait? Did you say that really? Somebody just said that in church. Wait. Okay. <laughs> Again, thank you. That's awesome. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Got it. Okay, you got yours? All right, now open it up. Look at it. There's mine. Repeat after me. You ready? Just follow with me. I am an image of God, my creator. Now look at it again and follow him again. I am an image bearer. Some of the guys were like, you lost me there. Of the most high God. And you're thinking there's no possible way. And yet the Lord God said, you, you are made in my image. And God didn't make anything that wasn't wonderful. He said, well, Chuck, I, w I wish you could help me with that. Well, go all the way back to creation in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. The scripture says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. You say, well, that's great, Chuck, but, but I don't really count for anything. I'm just one of billions of people. Well, okay, in Matthew chapter 10, beginning of verse 29, the text says, What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Isn't that good to know? Aren't you glad to know that he values you even in the state you're in right now? You say, well, Chuck, I'm doing pretty doggone good. I come to church every Sunday. I mean, I, I pay my bills. I didn't cheat on my taxes. I don't kick the dog. I'm doing pretty good. Okay, guess what? Here's the most wonderful news for you. When you're not doing okay, he doesn't love you any less or any more. That you cannot make God not love you. We, he loves you, he promises, and he knows you so intimately and still loves you. Aren't there people that you see from a distance, you think, man, I'd like to be their friend. And then when you get to know them, you're like, mm, how do I get out of this mess? Because you kind of learn the real deal, right? I mean, this is kind of like, it's not unusual for me to have a couple that wanders in for marital counseling, who's been married about six or seven years, and sit down and they'll say something like, you know, we've just kind of drifted apart. Okay, then why don't you just drift back together? <laughs> well, it doesn't work that way. How come? Well, because we drifted apart. Well, why don't you just turn around? Why don't you drift together? And they look at you like you got 12 heads. I said, think about this. Most men kind of live by the theory of, you know what? I love you. I told you I loved you when I said I do. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. <laughs> and most women are like, you're an idiot. I need to know that you love me. You know what Jenny says to me sometimes? By the way, we'll be married 10 years tomorrow. Yeah. Can you believe that? She has put up with this for 10 years. I don't even understand how that happens. But you, the, a wife looks at a husband and thinks, you know, not only you're an idiot, but you truly don't get it, do you? I need to know you love me. Jenny says to me all the time, she said, no, do you love me? And I'll say, yeah, baby, I love you. She said, but, but do you love me a lot? I require a lot of love. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, baby, I do. You know, sometimes I think we look at God and we say, God, but do you love me? Do you love me a lot? I require a lot. And the Lord kind of opens up his hands and he says, I can spread my hands as far as the east is from the west. I love you with that kind of love. You see, when we see ourselves through the value lens that God sees us, we cannot help but love him more, love others as we love ourselves because he has said, this is how I love you. But now watch that. The scripture also says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks, that's who he is. 
So if you look in the mirror thinking, loser, eventually, you know what your heart's going to say? Yep, loser. If you say enough in, in your heart, you know what, I, I, I can't provide. I, I never thought I'd be this guy. Life's in a mess. Never thought I'd be here. Okay. If you keep telling yourself that 1,300 times every minute, eventually, that's what you're going to believe. This is why I believe it's so critically important that we're in Scripture and before the Lord in a time of meditation every day because it recalibrates not only how God values you and how God loves you, but how you are supposed to see yourself. God made no mistake when he made the wonderful you. When God made Randall Patterson back there, he thought, you know what? I've got the perfect role for that guy. He's going to be so weird that he's going to be awesome. And you know what? I've known Randall for 10 or 11, 12 years now. You know what? He is so weird, but he's so awesome. He's just one of the greatest guys I've ever met. And I see God using him all the time. I wonder if that's how God sees you too. What, a, what an interesting guy I made. What an interesting girl I made. Have I got the greatest plan in the world for you or what? I just find it fascinating. Jenny and I went and saw The Shack the other night. Okay? Now listen, let me just stop and say, if you're freaked out by movies like that, just don't go. You know? But if you want to see love defined in the most wonderful way through the eyes of a God that adores you, go watch this movie. And you, I'm telling you, I blubbered all the way through it. And about the time that Jesus, with the dude, is running, racing each other across the water, I'm thinking to myself, that's what I want to do. I want to run with Jesus so much that we're going to run on water and go, how about that? I want to be able to walk with him so well that I can say, look at what he did. How about that? I want to look back at the day. And when Jen says, what happened today? I can say, you ain't going to believe it. Look at that. But you know, for the look at that to happen, I got to see him and see he sees me. And I've got to walk with him. In this movie, when Jesus calls for this guy to step out of the boat, it's a, it's a reminder of Jesus and Peter. I, I'm pretty sure y'all got that. And, and Jesus says, go ahead, step on out, go ahead. Look at me, look at me, come on, look at me. And this guy is such a beautiful depiction. This guy takes his foot, he steps over into the water, puts the next one down, and it's like, how about that? Before he stepped out, he was just wallowing in the self-pity and misery of life. And he steps out, puts his feet on the water. Some of us just need to get out of the boat. Because you see, the Lord Jesus is saying to you, I love you with a never-ending love. God created you, has a plan for you, wants to prosper you, wants to bless you, wants you to call on his name, and wants you to follow his instruction. But since we're made in the image of God, shouldn't we want to see how much he values us? You can't let the world know how much the Lord values you when you're a hangdog and your head's down and there's nothing to look toward because nobody wants to look at that and say, hey, I can't wait to be that miserable. I can't wait to be that uptight and follow all those rules. I can't wait to have to follow all those people's rules down there at that church and act like that. I want to run on top of the water with Jesus. That's what I want to do. And that's why he's the biggest deal ever. He wants to run with you. But how do you change our negative self-talk into positive self-talk? How, how do you change our heart from looking at, oh, shook, it's just me, to I'm an image bearer of the Most High God? How do we go from being frightened in the boat to stepping out and walking on the water? 
Well, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You say, but now Chuck, I, I don't, I think of things, I worry about stuff. I worry about the markets, I worry about our home, I worry about my kids, I worry about our money, I, I worry about our retirement, I worry about Trump, I worry about all, I worry about all kind of stuff. Okay. And God says, how about if you try this? Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Well, but Chuck, how would I do this? This is why y'all hear me harp on having a daily time of meditation is so incredibly important in our life. If we're going to see us as God sees us, we have got to spend some time with the creator so we can know what we look like. We've got to spend some time with the creator so we know how we're supposed to step out of the boat. We're to know how we're to walk in confidence. When Paul says, I can do all things according to Christ and his strength, he's saying, okay, I can do all that, but I can't do everything. Years ago, this little boy, and I thought it was pretty interesting, his little six-year-old is named Tommy Teague. And uh, this was when uh, President Reagan was still alive, post-presidency, and he convinced the Secret Service to let him go to Ronald Reagan's door and ring the doorbell. And he asked the president to buy a bumper sticker. I remember seeing them around all over the place. And the bumper sticker said, peace, please do it for us kids. And he sold a bumper sticker to Ronald Reagan for $1.50. That same week, he packaged up a bumper sticker like that that said, peace, please do it for us kids. And he sent it to Mikhail Gorbachev. Gorbachev sent him back $1.50 in a note that said, good for you. Before long, this was all over the country, and he wound up on some of these afternoon talk shows like Oprah and Ellen and all those kind of shows, Steve Harvey, that kind of deal, right? And in every single one of those interviews, at the end, they said, do you really think these little bumper stickers are going to change the world? And in every answer, here's what that little six-year-old boy said. Well, Berlin Wall came down. I say I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> you know, that kid didn't wake up and think, well, I can't make a difference. That kid didn't wake up and think, well, I can't do anything. That kid woke up and thought, you know what? I can do something here. The paradox is I can't do anything without Christ, but I can do all things with Christ. I can't see myself as God sees me unless he's living within me. I, 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 I just can't do it. So over in Matthew's gospel, this is where the paradox gets even a little more funky. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, the scripture says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Find yourself, lose yourself. But look at the two highlighted words, deny himself. Now, how is it we're to see ourselves as this wondrous creation that God the Father has created and deny yourself simultaneously? Watch, you ready? So I'm going to take this life of mine and I'm going to surrender it to the presence of God who has given me as a gift his Holy Spirit because I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I trusted that Christ would forgive me of my sin and my selfishness. And the gift that came within that was the presence of the Spirit of God. Now that Spirit of God, when I allow him to control me, then I can see in the mirror that God is at work and that the only thing that I really offer this world is the presence of Jesus. And when I allow that to be the predominant voice in my life, then I am seeing myself as God sees me and I'm being used by God. 
and now I have the right attitude. So then how would you, how would you love other people? Pretty good question, right? If you're going to love others as you love yourself, then you would see others through the eyes of Jesus and the Spirit of God prompting and clapping you on and say, come on, you can do this. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, we, we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And if we don't love ourselves appropriately, we'll never love our neighbors appropriately. And we will miss that Jesus said every other law on the planet hangs under these two laws. That you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and soul, and love others as you love yourself. And you can't forget the last two words, as yourself. You say, well, Chuck, I need, I need like a checklist. Could you just give me, this is what we do. Okay, let's do that. Guys, if you pull up the slide for Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. Now, when you look at this text, I have highlighted a few things for you. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Now, if you're here and you're a teetotaler, you know what you're thinking? Yeah, tell them, preacher, you tell them. But if you're here and you socially drink, which is about 89% of you or more, you'll be glad to know that this text is not specifically about alcohol. This text is about anything that controls you other than the Spirit of God. If anything controls you other than the presence and the power of God, then the text says what's going to happen is whatever that is is going to ruin your life. So if you're here and you've got an addiction that you're fighting, that addiction has a power and a presence in your life where Jesus is supposed to be here in your life Jesus is here in your life, and the addiction is here. And the scripture says when we put anything, pride, rules, organized religion, alcohol, tobacco, gossip, slander, critical spirits, envy, when we let anything step in the place that Jesus should hold in the priority of our heart, the scripture says right after that it's going to ruin your life. But then comes the prescription. The prescription comes right after it says, but instead of that happening, and instead of having a life that is ruined, now instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. But then he even goes further and says, and this is how you do that. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. So like if you're one of those people who come to church and you're like, hands in the pocket, I ain't going to sing. I'm just going to stand here. I don't do the same thing. Okay. But are you making any music in your heart? Is there anything within your heart that's saying, this is so great? Because if not, you can have the greatest voice in the world. And it's not going to matter. You can sing hymns. You can sing praise songs. You can, you can sing spiritual songs. You can sing Jesus songs. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I don't like guitars and I don't like drums and I don't like screens. What are you here for? I mean, there's, there's 20 dead churches around here you can attend. I mean, they're everywhere. Well, why not make music in your heart to the degree that says, I'm in, let's do this. And the scripture gave us this prescription. Bring it back up again, guys. Making music to the Lord in your hearts. Oh, and what else? Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you, so you say, well, all right, Chuck, I want to live this life where I'm doing the as yourself right. Then don't be drunk with wine or anything else that separates God controlling your, your, your life. Because if you do, it's going to ruin your life. 
Instead of doing that, start singing and praising and making music to the Lord in your heart. You say, well, Chuck, I never thought that praising and, and singing was something that the Lord thought was a critical part of my life. Well, why do you think we do it every week? I mean, we don't come together to try to entertain folks. We come together so that we might walk together into the presence of God and sing this glorious song that the Lord would say, that's my kids, they're awesome. Oh, and give thanks. Isn't that great? And give thanks. Every morning for, for months now, probably a year or more now, I, I, the first question I answer myself is, what am I grateful for? I have truly learned that when you live in a sense of gratitude, what you have is more than enough. And when you don't live in a sense of gratitude, you'll never have enough. The scripture says just, okay, if, if, if you want to know how to live this life, why don't you do this? Don't let anything control your life other than God. Walk with him and talk with him and hang out with him and live with him. Push the green button on your phone in a conversation with him and don't hit the red button until it's time to snore. Oh, and while you do that, sing, give thanks, make music in your heart, and trust Jesus. But then there's another text. It's kind of the second part of this prescription in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. You heard it earlier. Don't worry. Any worry warts in the room? Yeah? Me too. I can fret about anything. I mean, we fret, we fret about all kinds of things. But the scripture comes together. Now, if you want to see God as, as you're supposed to, you want to love others as yourself, first, don't worry. Instead, pray about everything. You know what happens in a Christian life? Sometimes we get together and somebody say, what can I do for you? And the answer is, well, like, the only thing I know left to do is pray. What if the very first defense was prayer? What if it was such a natural, holy habit that prayer was just, God, let's talk a little bit. I'd love to talk with you. And get the picture that when you run into God's den, he's sitting in his favorite chair and you jump up in his lap and he wraps his arms around you and says, now let's chat. And then you unpack this. Look, tell God what you need. Here it is again. And thank him. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. You've heard me say for five and a half years, the greatest single commodity in life is peace in your life. And so you say, Chuck, I want some of that. Okay, stop worrying. Instead, start praying. Tell God what you need. Thank him for who he is and what he's done. He gives you peace, which will exceed anything we can understand. And then it says his peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live. How that? In Christ Jesus. So in other words, we're back to, I can't see myself and I can't love myself as I'm supposed to without the presence of Jesus. And then he gives us one last part of the three-part prescription. And in John chapter 15, verse 16, here's what the text says. You didn't choose me, I chose you. Jesus is saying, you didn't come looking for me, I came looking for you, I chose you. I remember as a kid playing Red Rover, Red Rover, send so-and-so right over. Y'all remember playing that? I remember going to vacation Bible school as a kid. You'd link arms, you know, and the other team, they had arms linked. You'd call one of those kids out, and they'd come and try to break through the link, holding hands. If you never played that game, you get arrested playing it today. But you know who you, there was always two kids who picked sides, right? I mean, there's always two kids that pick sides. Like Cal down here, he's going to pick a side. That's awesome, right? No, Bill down here, he's going to pick a side. And you know who they never pick first? is the kid that weighs 40 pounds. Because they're going to get clotheslined when you play this thing, right? They're going to be running with all their mics. I can do it. I can do it. Ugh, you know? You want a tank on your team, right? You want somebody, when they run and they break through, they're going to break somebody's wrist. They just drop their hands to not get hurt. 
So there's 40 kids, and Cal has picked his. Bill has got to pick his. There's three kids left. Nobody wants these kids. You know why? They are not Red Rover material. They are going to be wonderful biologists someday, but they are not Red Rover people. So Cal says, well, I'll take her. And I know she's thrilled then. And then Bill says, well, crud, I guess I'll take him. And that guy's like, and then there's one kid. And Cal's like, we have no prayer of winning with this kid. And if he had been married to Amy at that time, you know what she would have said? Cal, pick him, look at him, He's, bless his heart, he looks so sad. And Cal would have said, I don't care. I want to win. And Amy said, but look, bless his heart. And then he'd have picked it and it'd been all over with. And sure enough, we'd have clotheslined that kid. I mean, we would have cleaned his clock. You know what? And he'd have cried and gone home. And he said, mommy, kids are so mean. And then the bully kids would have said, yeah, you know. You see the point? Now watch this. What if we were all those kids and God got first pick? And he looked at his son, Jesus. And he said, I'm going to let you go first. And he looked at all of us, tall and short and skinny and fat and smart and stupid. And he picked them all. And he said, you know what? You're all first rounders. You're all going to walk on the stage with that number one on our jersey. And the name across the front says Jesus. And name on the back says Christ. You're on my team. I want you number one. You're the one that matters to me. You're the one I gave my life for. You're the one that I want to run toward me. You're the one that I want to go before. You're the one that I want to go within. You're the one that I want to come behind with. You are why I died. You are why I gave my life. You are why you should see yourself through the lens and the image of the most high God. And if you look in the mirror today and say, that's not true about me, you just called God your creator a liar. So why on earth would you go through this life with anything other than being able to see you as God sees you, his kid? You say, well, Chuck, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I've never done that. I've never heard God described that way. I don't have God in my life. I, I'm just here because made her hush. But you're thinking, man, I, I need something like that in my life to ground me, to hold me, to to take me to heaven, to give me this wonderful life today. How do I jump in on this deal? And the scripture says, just call on the name of the Lord and he'll answer and he'll save you. And you say, well, I don't even know how to call on the Lord. Well, it sounds just like this. Jesus, forgive me. I've made some really bad decisions in my life. Forgive me for being selfish and for being sinful and doing stuff that in your eyes is, is sin. Thank you for dying for me and raising from the dead for me so that I could have life in abundance and I could have life eternally in heaven. I want to turn my life around. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. And if that's the desire of your heart, you just say, that's me, Chuck. That's what I want. And he's faithful and just to hear and answer your prayer. So let's pray. Heads bowed and with eyes closed. My friend, that... The story of the day is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and our mind and our soul, and we love others as we're to love ourselves. And when we love ourselves through the lens of God, 
we get to run so fast to the divine that it separates us from our past. So I want to invite you today to just silently, quietly, right there where you're seated, saying, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my King. I want to turn around and live for you. I'm so grateful you died for me and you rose from the dead for me and you paid for my sins. And if that's the desire of your heart today, I just, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, just, just raise your hand so I can see. If that's your prayer today, if that's the desire of your heart today, just raise your hand. Amen. 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 Man, probably 10 or 12 people across this room saying, yeah, that's me. You know, walking an aisle doesn't make it happen. Your heart is what makes it happen. The ability to say, Jesus, count me in, that's what happens. And then you can start walking in obedience to him because it's so much easier because you've accepted him. He chose you. He picked you. You were drafted number one. doesn't get any better than that. And when you know that you are number one, you are the apple of God's eye, you are the chip off of the original block, when you recognize that, you will be able to sing within yourself, it is well with this soul that it is well with my soul, that it is well. And that's the desire that I believe the divine has for our heart and our life, that we might see ourselves as he sees us. So Lord, do what only you can do. And draw men and women and students and kids, just like these folks who came to the altar at 930. I pray now there'd be people that just step out and come to the altar and just say, Jesus, I... I'm going to leave my past behind here and I'm going to pick up the cross and I'm going to deny myself so that I can see and love me like you love me. Lord, let it be well with our soul as we say, Jesus, I, I want to love you and I want to trust you. Let it be well with our soul when we say, Jesus, I want to walk with you and I want to talk with you. Let it be well with our soul when we come to this altar and lay our past behind us and claim our future. Let it be well with our soul, with Jesus. He's, he's more than enough. Let our gratitude be shown as we come to an altar and say, Jesus, thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus, our King, our Savior, and our Lord, that we pray all these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.